My name is Einat Admoni. I'm the chef and owner of Balabusta Restaurant in New York City. I'm the founder of Daim Falafel and the author of two cookbooks, Balabusta and Shuk. On top of all the stuff I'm doing in the food industry place, I also start doing um, stand-up comedy and I love it. Hey, y'all. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that asks hands-on home cooks and chefs a big question. What is their one? The singular recipe that always makes a statement. This week, we're dishing on a classic recipe that feels brand new with Anat Admini. Anat is the chef and owner of Balabusta, a Middle Eastern fine dining restaurant in New York City, Kishkash, New York's first couscous bar, and the falafel chain, Time. She's also the author of two cookbooks, Balabusta and Shook. She's a dynamic and enthusiastic chef who reminds us that even the most iconic recipes can benefit from a surprising refresh. And that includes gnocchi. So even though she's named this recipe Red Velvet, it's not actually a sweet recipe. But I'll let her tell you more about it. Hi, Ainat. It's so great to have you. How are you? I'm very good. Couldn't be any better. Oh, music to my ears. You have been cooking professionally since you were working in the army in your teens, and then when you went to college, and then when you started roaming around Germany, and then suddenly you were in Brooklyn and you were opening a restaurant. How did you kind of stumble into this love for cooking? What was the initial attraction? Uh, it's actually start as a kind of a nightmare of a childhood, helping my mom in the kitchen, uh, growing up in a very Jewish, pretty much conservative, Orthodox house that preparing Shabbat dinner. When people ask me, what is Shabbat dinner? I always said, it's like, just imagine Thanksgiving uh, every Friday. And as a young, young kid, that's what all I used to do. Helping my mom, doing all the chores, you know, all the not fun mm-hmm. stuff, uh, instead of hanging with my friends at this age. So it's, it's, didn't start like a love on the first side. I think that later when I realized that this is what bring me the most joy and actually the one consistent things in my life that I never want to change. And every time, every kind of situation in my life, I always find myself as the cook and always find myself that I could never do anything else. When you were talking about, you know, you growing up as a really, really little kid, you were talking about growing up in Israel. Is that correct? Yes. So I grew up in a small town called Bnei Brak. Uh, and this is like five, seven minutes from Tel Aviv, from the center. Then I grew up, uh, I was never really religious. I always was secular, but my parents got to be very religious when I was around 10 years old. But since ever, they always have Shabbat dinner. It was a very a mandatory thing. Uh, something that, you know, as a child you ate, I, I couldn't stand that. It's like... People that get forced to go to church every Sunday and they don't like it. And later they kind of appreciate that. The community, the friends they gain, you know. I think that later, and especially when I have my own kids, I really appreciate the Shabbat dinner. And actually doing that today and trying to keep, you know, that kind of amazing tradition of gathering the whole family together and sitting on the same table and having a beautiful meal with friends and family. And I think it's important. Absolutely. And sometimes all we need is a little bit of space that we can look back on it and be like, okay, I know. now I'm glad we have the memories. But at the time, yes. when did it start to feel actually enjoyable? 
I've been, I, I left home very early. Uh, I traveled before I even went to military. And then I went to military when I was 18 for two years. But I just found myself that everywhere I went, whatever I did, whatever job I had, whatever kind of position, whatever it is, I became the one that cooked for everyone. And I think that's the one thing that always centered me. I a lot of times said it saved my life because if not, I was still cruising around the world. It's something I really like to do is travel. And that's kind of bring me back to my homeland and kind of bring me to a little bit more structure and a different path than what I used to have before. And went to culinary school and I'm a very, very competitive person. So for me, <laughs> I want to go to work at the best restaurant that's going on back then in Israel and right after I came to the state and work under a lot of very impressive chefs. So I just found that this is one thing that make me super happy. I never get bored of cooking. I think I sleep with thinking about food and waking (laughs) up with thinking about food. Like it's like I finish my lunch and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to cook for dinner? So many of your restaurants already kind of capture that the same energy as what you've already been talking about. They're so kind of homey. Yeah. Have you always wanted to make sure that the cooking that you were doing still had that kind of air of home and community? Yeah, and I like it. I, I, right now, I used to have many restaurants in New York City. You know, I'm a founder of Taim. We open uh, Taim. Uh, we start with falafel, a tiny shop after I work years in fine dining. My husband worked as the front of the house in fine dining. And then I end up opening uh, a falafel joint, which was very funny for me in a way. <laughs> funny how? Funny because for, I for came from fine dining. Know. You know, it's like uh, you work in fine dining, a Michelin star restaurant, and then you open a hot dog cart, you know? Same thing. Exactly. So <laughs> falafel, it's a very street food. I remember that when we opened Taim, it was funny because we would use ingredients like champagne vinegar and Aleppo pepper for our Arisa. And I'm like, after a while, we realized, okay, we need to <laughs> slow it down a bit and take it down a notch because for the prices we charge in, we cannot use these crazy fine dining ingredients. So we find some compromise, which I don't know how to compromise much, but yes. It's the effort that counts. Yeah, but I think a lot of things changed since I, I started cooking. You know, I think my personality mm-hmm. changed, the way um, with my team changed, the way I look at food, everything changed. And I think it's a great, it's a, it's a sign of growth and uh, understanding about shifting and about, you know, what I really care about. And I think in Balabusta, a lot of time people would, even people that came from completely different cultures, that would say they feel like home and they feel like it's very, they feel related. And if somebody come from, I don't know, like, let's say have a, a family, a Chinese family came, they regulars here, they love it so much. And it's funny because the food is so different, but at the same time, there is something that, I don't know, I have a story behind, something that feel close. I love that so much, Anna. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. We've talked all this time about all this cooking you've done for everyone else, but I want to know, Aina, what is your one recipe? Okay, the one recipe that is always for me was underrated. It's a recipe I put in my Balabusta cookbook, my first cookbook that called uh, Red Velvet Gnocchi. This book was in different chapter that going by moods and not by soups and salads. And this is uh, a chapter that uh, is about kids and how to feed kids and the rules I had with my kids and what is important. And uh, this chapter called Kidding Around 
and it's different because there is no potato there mm-hmm. and it's very vibrant. We know how much kids like eating by, you know, separating food, colors, texture, things like that are very important. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's made with no potatoes. It's made with a specific semolina that's cream of wheat and we call it solet in Israel. It's the same things we use for couscous and kibes, Iraqi kibes. So it's basically this farina with some milk and some flavor and there is nutmeg inside and a lot of butter. And it's funny because I don't use butter in my food, almost none, but in this one, we really need to. And you can make it like, just like roll it and make some rings and bake it. But what I did lately for the restaurant, I just create Mm -hmm. with my hands some balls, almost look like uneven gnocchi. And then I boil it and let it float. And after that, just like saute it with a little bit like brown butter, a little bit like crushed garlic and rosemary that super delicious. It looks so beautiful. It's super red. It sounds so good. It's a fun thing to make too. That's the secret. A lot of people would think when they're thinking of red velvet, they're thinking of cakes, they're thinking of desserts, they're thinking Mm -hmm. of chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. But you're more using it as a point of reference to describe the color and the texture and how vibrant it is. Yes. We did it for New Year's Eve at the restaurant for, for our specials. We have a prefix menu and we did it with beautiful greens and short rib and we sear the short rib. So we have like a lot of different texture in one plate uh, and just the color. We did some grilled endive next to it. So we have like sweetness and bitterness and a lot of different flavors. And it was so beautiful just to look at this beautiful gnocchi. It's, it's, it's great. So to kind of take this from the very beginning, we're taking our milk, we're taking our butter, we're heating them both up. What's the next step? So we're taking like two cups, around two cups, a little bit butter, a little bit, eight tablespoons, it's a lot. And then we let it melt everything together. And then we put the semolina and we like mix, mix, mix with a whisk. We had some Parmesan and nutmeg and there is black pepper inside. And then I take cooked beets that I boil or roast. I like roast so they have much more sweetness into it. And then peel it, cut it, put it in a blender with two egg yolks all together, and then uh, just work with a little bit uh, all-purpose flour just for the surface, but nothing else. And then you have a, a beautiful, you know, gnocchi that's very vibrant. You can make any kind. You can roll it like a snake and then cut it. With I did it last time just with my hand, just make some balls. There is many ways and shapes that you can create with it. And do we have to worry as much about overworking this dough, or can we be a little bit more flexible and free with it? Yes. And that's nice because when I do a regular gnocchi, you need to do it pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So you need to work it fast. You don't want to work anything too much. It's not very forgiving. I found that, you know, if you want yeah. to really make a good gnocchi, it's not soup. And this one, it, it is. And with this recipe, actually, you can play with it any way you want. You can just like change the flavor a little bit. As long as you have the right consistent to make it. It's easy. You boil them, you let them, you can keep it on the side after you boil them and then just like sear them and keep them crusty a little bit later. You can even fry them, like deep fry them for a second. That would be okay as well. Ooh. I wouldn't, but I did <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> so so your golden method here is to kind of, once all the gnocchi have been boiled, to melt the butter and then toss them around in that 
nonstick fry pan just so that they can sear for a little bit and yeah, butter. Yeah, so and- they get some crust. You know, they get some crust and beautiful flavor, a little bit garlicky, tiny. And then I put like a, a little bit, few stamps of, of thyme, maybe one of rosemary together. So they get a little bit flavor. And that's a base to anything. You can eat it just like that with nothing else. You can put it next to it, some other vegetables, some grains, some mushroom, anything. It will go with anything. It's really delicious as it is, but it can be, you know, a base for anything. It sounds great. And it's it sounds like it's hitting all of those beats that can be so difficult to nail when it comes to kids' food, where it's visually exciting, it's engaging, but it doesn't exactly. make you feel like you're eating chicken tenders anymore. Kids don't like beets. <laughs> my kids that are amazing eaters, yeah, the teenager now, then they're great. They're eating crazy stuff, yeah? I'm very, very surprised and very proud of them. But there is still things that they're not like, you know, like butternut squash. I need to kind of trick them and do it differently so they don't know is that. This is what I talk about in this book, in this chapter. I talk about that. I you trick it, especially younger, because they get smarter as they grow, you know? So especially when they're young and they don't understand much, how you can sneak great stuff inside the food. Out here, sneaking in vegetables wherever you can. Anna, thank you so much for being here. Oh, so happy to be here. Anat Admani is a chef, author, and restaurant owner. You can find the recipe for her red velvet gnocchi on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. And hey, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. And don't forget to like and subscribe. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffer, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>